to the Man Up Podcast. I'm Winston Wolf. I solve problems. A spiritual oasis for men. We're not pastors, just regular guys. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for clothes only. So, for the uncommon man, created by equally uncommon men, this is Man Up. And welcome to No Church Answers, a Christian roundtable discussion for men. Podcast number 262. Hard to believe. And we're glad you're here. And where is here? Here is Sugarland, Texas. So grab globes, spin it around. Boom! Not sure where you ended up. Spin it around. Find Texas. Southeast side of Texas is Houston. Southwest side of Houston is Sugarland. And we're here with the guys from Man Up, Spiritual Oasis for Men. Not pastors, just regular guys, each on their own spiritual journey, meeting daily challenges just like you are. So, we're glad that you've joined us. Also, the No Church Answers 30-minute video show can be streamed from the Man Up Spiritual Oasis YouTube page. So to subscribe and, and hit the like button and leave a comment. And, of course, our podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. So please rate the podcast and leave a review. And, of course, this wouldn't be possible without your support. This time, it's my privilege. I'm going to go ahead and introduce to you the panel. I'm going to start with, uh, he is a former world-class policy writer and a current professional gambler. He is the show producer, Mr. Steve Titch. Hey, Steve. And he is a former prosecutor and attorney. We call him the judge, kind of the group historian. It is Michael Cropper. Hey, Mike. Mike, Mike, how's it going? A corporate trainer, kind of the group theologian, kind of a big deal in the talent development. That's why we call him the professor. That's Robert Koshue. Hey, Robert. And my name is Bill Cox. I am basically a sales guy and uh, kind of the director. So, And with that, thank you so much for tuning in to No Church Answers. I'm going to go ahead and uh, turn it over to Mr. Steve Titch. Oh, thanks, Bill. Hey, we're going to do something different this week because we've been looking at the book of Job. It is a tremendous work. Uh, We're kind of going to, you could put it either rush through or go through an abridged reading of chapters 8 through 26, which is the bulk of the dialogues that occur between Job and his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And if we had done these over a few weeks, they would have gotten repetitive. So we're going to cut to the chase and do a dramatic reading where all four of us are going to take parts in it. Uh, it's, it's going to be daring, but uh, one reason we wanted to do this is, first, few really know how relevant and modern and intense this discussion is. This is not an academic discussion. People have uh, have heard of the book of Job. They know, oh, it's about a guy who gets everything taken away from him, and then he ponders with his friends about God and what happens, and then God appears. But it is, often it's, in some ways, it's a difficult poem, especially in some translations. We're going to use the NIV, which is is very much in plain English, still poetic. But but we're going to do it uh, kind of the way maybe it should be. And, And of course, there was an oral tradition uh, to ancient writings, and most likely, uh, if if it wasn't read by one person, perhaps perhaps people listened to the Book of Job this way with three readers. Um, secondly, uh, and again, this is something we probably would have more difficulty covering over several weeks. There's an arc that Job travels that we'll see. Uh, Job we've is, has started out um, 
really truly in despair and depression almost to the point of suicidal he just he, he's not going to take his own life but really he just wants to die curl up go to sheol and he, that's very important he, because at the beginning he's not dung scraping himself with pottery yes he's, he's, <laughs> he's in pain he's real i mean everything's taken from uh taken from him um and so uh, we'll be breaking this into two readings uh with some discussion after each uh, we will be using the new international version. Uh, Mike may chime in with uh, the message uh, at, at some points. Um, but uh, before I before I kind of introduce the cast, Mike, do you want to kind of catch us up quickly as to as to where we are? Yeah. Before we start the reading, uh, thank you, Steve. Um, folks, everyone, we're still studying Job, like Steve has uh, told you. We will cover a lot of chapters today. I want to take just a few moments and refresh your memory about who Job is and why we're here. God has some favorite people in the Bible. <laughs> they are called the Bay of God, and they are reputable people of good character and integrity. They include Noah, Moses, Abraham, Samuels, Elijah, Daniel, Esther, and just a host of all of, uh, a lot of other people. Uh, they were prophets, kings, priests, judges, and sometimes ordinary people whom God chose to be great leaders such as Gideon and David. Well, Job is another great man in the Bible. God called Job to be a great example also, but in a very profoundly different manner than the others. He is God's example of endurance and loyalty. Job is a man who fears God. He has great integrity. God has given him great wealth. Satan wants to sift the depth of Job's character, and God grants him permission to do that. So Job experiences gut-wrenching suffering and pain from Satan. In a single day, he loses his children, almost all his property, in a very devastating and tragic set of events. When he remains loyal to God, Satan again approaches God and asks him for permission to assault Job and then takes his physical health as well. Uh, Job becomes a visible, uh, visible nightmare with boils, sores, and fungus covering his body. His physical diseases produce excruciating pain equivalent to torture. And then Job permits, pardon me, God permits Job to experience this for quite some days. Now Job has three friends who have heard of his demise and they come to comfort him. The last podcast, Steve and I examined a dialogue between Job and Eliphaz, the first person to address him. Last week, Steve told us that Eliphaz's evaluation would set up the basis for the dialogue between Job and his friends and the rest of the chapters about why he was suffering. So up to this point, up to this time, the view in the Bible was that a person only experienced pain or suffering as a result of sin. You did not experience physical suffering and tragedy unless you offended God. Well, today's podcast presents an extensive view between Job and his friends about why he is going through the suffering. His friends clearly believe Job is suffering because of hidden sin, because they cannot articulate what it is. Job adamantly claims he has not sinned and he is wrongfully suffering. Neither Job or his friends know that Satan is the source of Job's intense pain and tragic losses. Today we examine the emotional conversations between Job and his friends. And just before we start in, we look at Job, who is, who is scratching his head, and he's still claiming, he says, Oh, God, what have I done to you? Oh, watcher of men, why have you set me as your target? 
Uh, why then do you not pardon my transgressions? Why am I in such pain and suffering that I'm a burden to myself? Okay. <clears throat> so, Mike, who just was speaking, will be Bildad. This is their cast in order of appearance. Bildad uh, will be played by Mike Cropper. Job, our hero, will be played by our host and hero, Bill Cox. Hey. Uh, I'll be taking the part of Zophar, and Robert, the professor, will be portraying Eliphaz. So, without further ado, here we go. A very abridged version of the dialogues that occur in Job chapters 8 through 19. Chapter 8, this is Bildad. How long will you say these things? Your words are blustering wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? Ask our former generation and find out what their ancestors learned. For we were born only yesterday and we know nothing and our lives and days on earth are but a shadow. Will they not instruct you and tell you? Will they not bring forth words from their understanding? Surely God does not reject one who is blameless or strengthen the hands of evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouts of joy, and your enemies will be clothed in shame, and the tents of the wicked will be no more. Indeed, I know that this is true, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Though they wished to dispute with him, they could not answer him one time out of a thousand. He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. When he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. How then can I dispute with him? How can I find words to argue with him? Though I were innocent, I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. Even if I summoned him and he responded, I do not believe he would give me a hearing. He would crush me with a storm and multiply my wounds for no reason. He would not let me catch my breath, but would overwhelm me with misery. Even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. If I were blameless, it would pronounce me guilty. He is not a mere mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that this terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him, but as it stands with me, I cannot. I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but Tell me what charges you have against me. Are all these words to go unanswered? Is this talker to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce others to silence? Will no one rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, my beliefs are flawless and I'm pure in your sight. If you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free of fault you will lift up your face. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as water's gone by. Life will be brighter than noonday, and darkness will become like morning. You will lie down, and no one to make you afraid. 
and many will court your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail, and escape will elude them. Their hope will become a dying gasp. Doubtless you are the only people who matter, and wisdom will die with you. The tents of marauders are undisturbed, and those who provoke God are secure. Those God has in his hands. To God belongs wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are his. What he tears down cannot be rebuilt. Those he imprisons cannot be released. If he holds back the water, there's a drought. If he lets them loose, they devastate the land. He leads rulers away stripped. He makes fools of judges. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows officials long established. He silences the lips of the trusted advisor and takes away the discernment of elders. He pours contempt on nobles and disarms the mighty. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings utter darkness into light. What you know, I also know. I'm not inferior to you, but I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. You, however, smear me with lies. You are worthless physicians, all of you. If only you would be altogether silent. For you, that would be wisdom. Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Hey, keep silent. Keep silent. And let me speak. Then let come up to me what may. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though you slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my way to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. For no godless person would dare come before him. Listen carefully to what I say. Let my words ring in your ears. Now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. Would a wise person answer with empty notions or fill their belly with the hottest wind? Would they argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value? Your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. Why has your heart carried you away? Why do your eyes flash so that you vent your rage against God? And pour out such words from your mouth. Listen to me and I will explain to you. Let me tell you what I have seen. What the wise have declared, hiding nothing received from their ancestors. All his days the wicked man suffers torment. The ruthless man through all the years stored up for him. Terrifying sounds fill his ears. When all seems well, the marauders attack him. He despairs of escaping the realm of darkness. He is marked for the sword. Before his time he will wither, and his branches will not flourish. He will be like a vine stripped of its unripe grapes, like an olive tree shedding its blossoms. For the company of the godless will be barren, and fire will consume the tents of those who love bribes. I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you keeps you on arguing. I have sewn sackcloth over my skin, buried my brow in the dust. My face is red with weeping. Dark shadows ring my eyes, yet my hands have been free of violence and my prayer is pure 
earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My my intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. On behalf of a man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. Job, when will you end these speeches? Be sensible. Then we can talk. Why are we regarded as cattle and considered stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself to pieces in your anger, do you think God is going to move the earth just for you? Or must the rocks be moved from their place for you as well? How long will you torment me and crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attacked me. Though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I cry for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my path in darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed my, the crown from my head. He has alienated me, my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone away. My closest friends have forgotten me. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my own family. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. I'm nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends. Have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. And with that, we're going to go ahead and take our first break. This is... No Church Answers, Podcast 262. We'll be right back. Hey, pastors and church leaders. Are you looking to create an exciting program that will attract, engage, and inspire men in your congregation? Book a live Man Up Spiritual Oasis podcast for your next men's ministry event. Called authentic, gritty, and unexpectedly funny, Man Up has been delighting podcast listeners since 2017. We're not pastors, just regular guys willing to talk about scripture and how we can apply it to our personal faith journeys. Man Up is a refreshing alternative to predictable motivational speakers, offering your audience a chance to connect with everyday Christian men who don't settle for routine Sunday school answers. Interested in learning more? Visit man-upspiritualoasis.com or contact Bill Cox at liveshow at manupmedia.org. And now, back to the fellows of Man Up. And welcome back, everybody. This is Man Up Spiritual Oasis for Men Podcast number 262. The fellas, this is No Church Answers. Just had this interpretive reading about Job. Wow, powerful stuff. Want to go ahead and start to uh, get some quick comments and uh, start with producer Steve Titch. Well, I think there are still many Christians who deep down believe in this idea of retributive justice. Uh, It's very easy to fall into, uh, 
But it's not true. It's just not the case. And uh, you know, Job argues it very well. Uh, no matter how much we want to say it, Job come points out and says, "Look, you know, look around. Ten, the tens of the wicked are still standing around." So, if we assume, well, if we don't want to assume. If we're going to, if we're going to read the Bible as revealed truth, there's got to be something else to the problem of when bad things happen to good people. Now, the book of Job itself tries to work that out, but where we are, at least, is that this idea of God rewards the good and punishes the bad in this life as you're going around. The idea of karma. Karma is a Buddhist idea. It's an Eastern religion idea. That, mm-hmm. that It's not. There's no karma in Christianity. Uh, but I guess the best example, and we've talked about it in the past, is the gospel of wealth. Uh, Joel uh, Joel Austin's message is essentially Eliphaz's message. You uh, you 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 do right by the word, and you are rewarded materially. And if you uh, you aren't, uh, you don't. Um, you 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 obviously did something wrong. Now I would I would I I don't I've only been living in Houston since 2004, so I got here right after the Enron thing. So I'm not sure how long Austin Austin has been doing his Lakewood Church. But this this conversation between Job and Eliphaz, I wonder if something like that happened when some rank and file employee of Enron, for no fault of his own, but because of what the higher ups were doing criminally, lost his life savings. And did he stay in Joel Austin's should Joel Austin say, well, you know, deep down there, there's a problem there. You must have done it. Here's the funny part. Some of those execs were members of Austin's church. (laughs) <laughs> of that and and mm-hmm. but it but yeah it, it it it's a conversation because there is this idea of what have i been doing wrong you know and and it ignore the the premise of scripture is that god created a perfect world and and i'm going to use some real colloquialism here because it's nowhere near that simple in my mind adam ate the apple sin entered into the world and the world fell those consequences aren't just to Adam and Eve. Those consequences appealed throughout creation and created this fallen world where bad things just kind of happen. <laughs> and because of that, you know, there is no rhyme reason. And Jesus' redemptive work on the cross, which I, I probably have read Job. I never knew, I never associated that. I know my Redeemer lives. Holy cow! <laughs> you know, prophecy ad infinitum there but jesus's redemptive work is to individuals not to society as a whole he came in to redeem individuals our work as christians is to better the world not through politics by the way but our job is to better the world by treating people right by taking care of the of the hungry i've got to let mike clinton but i I want to just expand on that that's one of the one of the transitions biblically that we see happening in the book of Job, much of what comes before is about the nation of Israel and God's yes. relationship with the collective. Job is very much an, an individual. What, what, about, what about me? Do I get to stand before God? Do I, rather than judging the whole nation, do I get, do I get to stand before God on my own with my own integrity. Which, and, the, and very quickly, and what makes it more interesting to me is if, if some of the sources were to be believed, 
the oral history of Job is one of the oldest stories mm-hmm. in yes. the Bible. So yeah, my, yeah, no, no, no. That, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. There are so many things. Uh, Noah and the the flood. Uh, Jonah and the whale with Nineveh. There are so many things where God does retribute sin. So it's the first thing on our mind, and, and of course, if you grew up, my, my mom says, see there, you did it. You, you shouldn't have played with the fire. You're saying you got burned. <laughs> so, so the first thing that does come to my mind, if I get sick, I say, oh, God, there's, and then there's two ways I address him. I say, God, did I sin? Or what are you trying to teach me? Right? And this is the other thing which we're going to see throughout Job till the end. Uh, God has, ultimately, he has a lesson to teach through Job. Those things often resonate in our lives. And, and, and Job says, he yells, he says, he says, God, why am I going through this? He's suffering so miserably. And, and if you go back to the first, our other podcasts on Job, you, you look and you see that Job has become such an atrocity that his friends don't even recognize, when they, recognize him when they come to see him and comfort him. He is so ugly, so horrible. And, and he says, God, what have I done to cause this? And he says, so he looks at them and, and he says, I want to argue with God about my situation. I want to know why this is occurring to me because I know that I haven't done wrong. And folks, you know, we, we all know if we've sinned, it will go to our heart. It will go to our, our, our we have a gut feeling in us when we have done something wrong. And, and Job is sitting there going, I don't have this gut feeling. I want to know why I'm going through this horrible, horrible situation where everybody mocks me and makes fun of me. He says, my cry for justice would pale compared to him. He says, however, I don't have a chance even if I find him. If he this appeared is, right in front of me. This is the case, I think, why we need a redeemer. And, and yes. Job, imagine, Job kind of, is, is, it grows. It goes from the idea of first a mediator, somebody who would, you know, God's way up there. He's immortal. He's, he's indiscernible. And I'm just a finite mortal. And in fact, Job yeah. points out that that's, that in itself is a problem. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just not God. God, can, why, why would he even abide me at all? You know, he's kind of answering yeah, yeah. sometimes, well, maybe he doesn't. I'm so little, but I'd like to approach this entity who I worship. Mm-hmm. So first he imagines the mediator um, and then an advocate. Then we have the language of an advocate like a lawyer, a defense attorney. Yeah, yeah, you'd love yeah, that. Good. But no, I, right. And then finally he gets us to the last part, the idea not, a, not just a mediator or an advocate, but a redeemer who will not only, will basically make him presentable in God's sight. And that's that's what what I think in in some ways is is many people who aren't Christians misunderstand the whole idea. It's not it's not necessarily sin being awful things, bad things, evil things. Um, the reason we need a redeemer is because as mortals, as imperfect humans, we just can't stand before God. We 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 we're we're messed up one way or another. We're God God is all perfect all good and we are not that even the, on our best days and I think Job kind of understands that Job is blameless but he still says my, my mouth's going to condemn me I'm, I'm just too too imperfect to stand before him so we have 
And then, then Job says, if only there were a redeemer, if there were only somebody who could take God's rod from me. And this is the novel idea of the Messiah that begins to develop here, uh, of an individual savior, of, of um, and finally, and, and, and we can talk a little about this, if, if, if the, this, it begins with the idea of Shoal. The common idea in the Old Testament was that there was really no life after death. You died and you just entered a state of non-existence. Not, not hell, not heaven, you just ended. Um, kind of an existential thing. Job introduces this idea that does show up in the prophets as well, that there's something else. That, that there is, after we die, we, we actually have the opportunity to, to join God. And you know, to him, it's, it's still somewhat abstract. But if you compare that, that uh, um, line about standing in new skin, my flesh will be gone, but I'll have new skin. You, that, you look at Corinthians. That's a bodily resurrection if I've ever read that, one. That <laughs> seems to echo in 1 Corinthians. What, what is the, you know, I, I dropped my chapter there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 42, 44, where Paul talks about spiritual bodies. Excellent. And with that, we're going to go ahead and we have a second reading that we're going to do. And uh, we are going to start that up here really quick. You got to find it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, show prep's overrated. I just want to let everybody. And, uh, I got to make sure I'm in the right order. Oh, it's Steve. Okay, it's, yes, okay. Pardon me, again, uh, uh, again, in order of appearance, Zophar, Zophar, yours truly, Steve Titch, uh, Job, uh, Bill, Eliphaz, uh, Robert and Bildad will will get us will enter He's here the, by uh, yeah by Mike there. He's okay. got a big part. Okay. <clears throat> My troubled thoughts prompt me to answer because I am greatly disturbed. I hear a rebuke that dishonors me, and my understanding inspires me to reply. Surely you know how it's been from of old, ever since mankind was placed on the earth. That the mirth of the wicked is brief. The joy of the godless lasts but a moment, though the pride of the godless person reaches to heavens and his head touches the clouds. He will perish forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? Like a dream, he flies away, no more to be found, banished like a vision of the night. Have you never questioned those who travel? Have you paid no regard to their accounts that the wicked are spared from the day of calamity, that they are delivered from the day of wrath? Who denounces their conduct to their face? Who repays them for what they have done? They are carried to the grave and watch is kept over their tombs. The soil is in the valley is sweet to them. Everyone follows after them and a countless throng goes before them. So how can you console me with your nonsense? Nothing is left of your answers but falsehoods. <clears throat> is it for your piety that he rebukes you and brings charges against you? Is not your wickedness great or your sins not endless? You demanded security from your relatives for no reason. You stripped people of their clothing, leaving them naked. You gave no water to the weary, and you withheld food from the hungry. Though you were a powerful man, owning land, an honored man, living on it. And you sent widows away empty-handed. You broke the strength of the fatherless. 
That is why snares are all around you, why sudden peril terrifies you, why it is so dark you cannot see, and why a flood of water covers you. Will you keep to the old path that the wicked have trod? Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far, far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the dust, your gold of Ophir to the rocks in the ravines, then the Almighty will be your gold, the choicest silver for you. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. But if I go to the west, he is not there. If I go to the east, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. And when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Job, how is it you think you are so righteous that you can stand and challenge God? God is sovereign. He is fearsome. Everything in the cosmos fits and works in his plan. Can anyone count his angel armies? Is there any place where his light doesn't shine? How can a mere mortal presume to be righteous enough to stand up to God? How is man pure enough? He is born of a woman, remember? Even the moon does not shine bright enough to be perfect in God's eyes, and the light of the stars is not pure in his eyes. How much less can we, being plain men and women, reflect holiness? We can only be like maggots and worms in his sight. How you have helped the powerless. How you have saved the arm that is feeble. What advice have you offered to one without wisdom? And what great insight you have displayed. Who has helped you utter these words? And whose spirit spoke from your mouth? As surely as God lives, who has denied me justice, the Almighty who has made my life bitter, as long as I have life within me, and breath of God in my nostrils. My lips will not say anything wicked. My tongue will not utter lies. I will never admit you are in the right. Till I die, I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. All right, and with that, we're going to go ahead and we'll take our second break right now. This is uh, podcast number 262, Nurture Answers. We'll be right back. This is Bill Cox, director of Man Up Spiritual Oasis for Men. We're not pastors, just regular guys. Thanking you, our listeners, for making us one of the fastest growing podcasts in the Christian space. We are proud to announce that the regular guys have earned a video slot on Preach the Word TV Network, a Christian video streaming application with more than 50 million downloads worldwide. To finance our video production, we have launched a GoFundMe page to raise funds for our studio space and production team. 
Our program will be available on Roku, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV. It will also air locally in Atlanta on Saturday mornings on WYGA Channel 16.5. To make a tax-deductible contribution and learn more details, please look us up on GoFundMe.com under Man Up Spiritual Oasis for Men or donate directly through PayPal at donate at manupmedia.org. Thank you so much for your support. And now back to the fellas of Man Up. And welcome back. This is podcast number 262, No Church Answers. And we are talking about Job. And want to go hit up the heckler in the group. That was the judge. Blast for me. Go ahead and take that, Mike. Yeah, that, folks, you've been listening. Uh, Job maintains he's in us. He is suffering horribly, uh, and he does not know why. And his three friends, and of course we wonder if they're really friends, <laughs> contend terribly that, that he is hiding sin. They don't know what it is, but Zoph- uh, pardon me, Eliphaz goes so far as to start naming things that, that Job has done because he's groping for something to nail him with. And, uh, and, and, and Job says, I haven't done anything. It hasn't done anything. When I stand before God, I'm going to be righteous. When I confront him, and, and you can just imagine them thinking to themselves, yeah, right. You're going to be... Yeah, this is going to be blasphemy, and God is going to set you straight. In fact, one of them says to him, I wish you were standing before God now. I wish he'd stand before you. He would set you straight. You know what's going through their minds. They're thinking, what in the world? He's got pride. He's a godless man. He who honors himself for being successful is proud. And by the way, Job does start taking a proud position toward the end. I have done really well. I've done good, and I've kept myself that, clean. That's well, Go you ahead. know that we got into we got into that in our own Sunday school class a bit of it, and and it's a tricky thing. Does he get too prideful? Now, I'm 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 a I'm 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 a Job guy. I don't I think he's perfectly right, but I think one of the ways, and maybe maybe it's worth debating here, is that that some people say, well, there, that's where Job is going wrong. He's he's arguing too much. <laughs> He won't, he won't admit anything, but isn't that what, what Eliphaz is doing? And the, the, the fact is, in the story, we know that Job is right. So when is, when is Christian humility, what is it? And humility isn't necessarily denying the truth. Uh, humility, I, I guess, is, is Job too, too emphatic? Does he have to ease up or, or not? Or is he perfectly justified in his outcry? So I'm, I'm going to do something that's a lost art in today's world. I'm Obey gonna show, the question? Now, I'm going to show empathy with Job. One of, the, one of the biggest faults in society today is nobody shows empathy or looks at the other person's side. And I, I'm, I'm kind of like, Joe's got every right to say, what the heck? Because, I mean, if you think about it, throw away the side. Don't think about divine retribution. But but think of it from Job's perspective. I've been sinless. I'm even offering sacrifices on behalf of my children just in case they sinned. Remember from mm-hmm. the beginning? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In one day, all of my children are killed. All of my land, is, all of my stuff is taken. I lose all my wealth. 
you know, what do I do? Naked to the womb I came, naked to the womb I returned. Get up and go on about my day. There's a period of time that we're not sure. Satan gets permission to mess with Job. And all of a sudden, Job is like totally inflicted with sores, aching, burning, horrible sores. His wife is looking at him saying, just curse God and die. <laughs> you know, get over this. Now the three, and I'm going to say self-righteous friends who, in my mind, are like Joe Osteen, Mark Driscoll, <laughs> you know, and, and Ravi Zacharias, who are like all holier than thou. And, you know, I, I mean, Steve, Steve described one of his guys' response as, a Hallmark Christmas card theology message. <laughs> you know, and, and Eliphaz is seriously channeling Joel Osteen. Mike hate to be this way, but you're almost channeling Mark Driscoll there, you know, with how you're screaming at it. And but but all three of those guys were deeply, massively, hugely flawed characters. Or two of them for sure. You know, Robbie Zacharias and Mark Driscoll were hugely flawed characters. And here they are telling Job. You just need to get your life straight. And you're going, I didn't do anything. All of a sudden, I've been straight. So no, I think Job, I think Job is right to be at this point. And, 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 and if you read through it and you really read through the part, Job isn't complaining about God. What he's saying is, hey, God, I want a conversation here. I want oh. I want an understanding. Well, that in itself, <laughs> I mean, is that is that alarming? I mean, he's 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 calling him out. Who mm-hmm. who are we to to dare God to come? Come on, he said. Come on, come on, God. Let's hear it. Let's <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna do the best you can because you you and I both know what the what the true deal is. And I mean, I can imagine these three guys sitting there listening to this. And they guy. back up away from them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're waiting. <laughs> the lightning might strike. That's right. But um, but, but there's but, a point in life, though, when you have nothing to lose, mm-hmm. and you're getting to that point. And there's, I, I've been going through this uh, lately in in my life, and there comes a point to where you don't even really care who you take on. It could be God or whatever. Because you're getting creamed anyway. Uh, you're getting... You, circumstances are creaming you anyway, and your friends aren't helping. <laughs> you know? So, come on. Let's uh, let's get to the root of the problem. Let's get this over. And and I can certainly understand. You know, Job answer, asks a great question. Were you through? I'm sorry, Bill. Were you yeah. through? Um, Job, were you through? Yeah. Uh, Job makes a great point that even... Uh, that we haven't really hit hard. The fact is, he says, he says, I'm innocent. I'm standing upright before God. He says, but honestly, he's God. How can I, I, how can I dispute with him? How can I find words to argue with him? He is pure, right? He is holy. Even if, even if I've been cleansed, Isaiah went through this, I believe. Uh, The angel had to take a coal, right? A, A burning coal, and touch his lips. Isaiah said, I'm committed to God. My heart is right and everything. And God wants to speak for him. But he says, oh, I'm a sinner. I am not worthy to do that. And an angel had to take a coal and touch his tongue. So Job honestly says here, though I'm innocent, I couldn't answer him. I could only plead with him as my judge. And I only ask him for mercy. Who am I to stand before him? Even if I summoned him and he responded, 
I do not believe he would give me a hearing. He could crush me with a storm and he could multiply my wounds for no reason. In other words, no matter how righteous or sanctified I am, I still cannot stand before God. And we know that because Moses was not able to look at him. God passed by him and said, I will let you see me, but only the backside of me. I cannot let you see my face, right? So it's a very interesting point because even even if Job is righteous, holy, just, he cannot look at God directly. Then then there's the whole kind of loss of connection where that poignant part where he says, I go west, I go west. yeah, I'll go, uh, but I go west. He's not there. I go east. He's not there. Yeah. Um. He, and th- that's a that's that's a place where you can find yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about the empathy of this. Job didn't, and and we covered it in, in, in the first one. Job, Job has lost everything. Nobody wants anything to do with him. If you've ever had the misfortune of losing a job or being fired, nobody, guys who you who you worked for years with, don't want anything to do with you. No return, calls are not returned, emails, no friendly chats, no how, you know, let's talk about the Astros. You, you, so, and, and, and here in this story, it's completely compounded. They give him bad breath, the children are laughing at him. He has nothing left. He's really in, in despair. And that is, he's in a rough place. He's in a rough place, but he's, he's, he, he's, He's questioning and answering. He, he's not demanding God of answers. I, I think he's he's legitimately saying, "Hey, I want to talk." Mm-hmm. You know, which which is when you're in a despair place, there comes a point in time when, "Hey, I just want to talk to somebody mm-hmm. about this." Somebody just needs to so, have a conversation here. I do want to, I mean, and I, and this is something men are, and we'll throw this out. Go. This is something men are bad at because mm-hmm. we want to get in that place and bury ourselves. Mm-hmm. Instead of taking the cue from Job that mm-hmm. says, "Hey, at some point, hey, I need to talk to somebody about mm-hmm. this," and and sometimes you need to talk to the person that wronged you. In this case, you know, Job mm-hmm. Job isn't feeling wronged by God, but I think Job is wanting some kind of an explanation. Mm-hmm. He's like, "What the heck?" <laughs> yeah. So so well, Job didn't have what we have. We we can follow this in a couple of directions. But Job Job imagines a savior. Yes. Um, he mm-hmm. doesn't. He's Old Testament. He does not have a savior. He prophetically imagines well, the idea. He, he's we, Old Testament before. Yeah. He's Old Testament. If if we read the dating correctly yeah. of the mm-hmm. story, not yes. when it was written yes. down, but if we this read the dating, he, he's Old Testament before there was an Israel. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. he's Old Testament in coordination um, about the same time as Abraham. Yes. So there isn't even any nation yet. Yeah. Um, so, but he's he, he doesn't have that. We do. We have. At least in, in our in, in our religion, we believe now this rede- the redeemer, the advocate. We have the way we have the advocate. Sometimes that's called the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have the redeemer. Does what what I guess what does that mean? Should we we still feel sometimes disconnected though? That's the that's maybe the sometimes the the the, um, the different individuals in the Bible, the prophets, as God is my witness. He's calling. I think he's not necessarily believing there's a mediator. I'm actually saying, I've presented all this to you. I've complained. I've st- I've held my position, and I believe even now my witness is heaven. He's saying God is my witness. 
He's mm-hmm. my witness. But then we see it as a mediator, the third person, the Trin- second person in the Trinity, mm-hmm. right? Jesus. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense to us as we look back. But to then, uh, Job doesn't know how to express any other way other than say, everything I presented to you, God is hearing everything I'm saying right now. And he knows my heart. He knows that I am upright and I have not sinned and I have not committed evil. Excellent. And with that, we're uh, coming down to the end of podcast number 262, interpretive reading time uh, with the fellows from Man Up. And uh, just want to go around and get some, uh, get some takeaways from this and start with uh, the professor. I'm just shocked at, and I mentioned earlier, the I know my Redeemer. If that isn't a testimony to the continuity and the promise of Scripture that one of the oldest stories in the Old Testament, we, we can agree it was probably put together sometime in the exilic period, but oral tradition is this is one of the oldest stories. If that is not a case for Scripture being true and fulfilled and giving us something as men to really look at and look forward to, along with the story that can point us to the point that, hey, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to seek answers from God. That right there is the ultimate fulfillment. And one of the reasons why we do this podcast is so that men know, hey, there is, there is something greater than us, and there is a place we can go to to get answers. Excellent. Uh, take away from you, uh, Judge. Folks, James 4-2 says, pardon me, 1-2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And uh, folks, we know when we get to the end of Job, we know that God will address uh, Job in in a very, very omnipotent manner in a very very all-knowing way that teaches him lessons which he would not learn had he not gone through this experience and had he not been confronted with God Romans 8 28 says we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and called according to his purpose you know the two the two scriptures they just read give good advice to a person who is hurting and who wants clarification when they're going through a trial Job is experiencing extensive trial of catastrophic magnitude, and he believes that his relationship with God is right. So he cannot understand the intensity of that trial. And the idea that Satan could be orchestrating this event is not considered, although it is the answer. Job's friends evaluate his physical atrocities. They conclude that the only answer is that Job is hiding sin and God is judging him. So while they are adamant that he must turn from his wicked ways, they also believe that if he does repent, God will restore him his spiritual health and maybe his, his possessions and worldly wealth as well. So takeaways, folks. We have learned that consoling and comfort a friend here in a tragic time means to show kindness. And this is what Job asked over and over from his friends. He says, he says you're some friends. He says, you're criticizing, giving me advice, and telling me that I've sinned. You're running me into the ground. All I looked for you was kindness. And he said, in fact, the best wisdom you could give me after so much time, he says, is to be silent. So, uh, folks, 
it, consoling and being kind to somebody and comforting a friend does not mean evaluating their spiritual condition and giving them instructions on successfully repenting unless they ask you for your advice in that way. This type of advice will not be with friends, it will not win friends and influence people to your benefit. When you have friends like these, you do not need any enemies, do you? So anyway, the practical point here I'm trying to make folks, if you want to console and comfort a friend who is going through a difficult time, listen to them, give them words of sympathy that will make them feel loved and that you understand and be kind to them. Bill? Excellent. Uh, Steve Titch? Yes, I've got a couple of things. One is that going back to the idea of retributive justice, um, be careful with your kids. Be careful with people around you um, because, you know, your kid steals a cookie from the cookie jar, then falls, skins her knee, and then you want to say, well, there you are. God punished you. You do that too often, kids are going to internalize that, and they're going to come to believe that, and that's not really what's true. Of course, you know, you deal with the consequences of your action. But, uh, again, and, and I think that's one reason people grow up with the seed of that in their mind. But it's not. Uh, secondly, and, and what we can learn from, from Job's friends is that we may think we know the Bible, but we shouldn't be afraid to test our, our, uh, test our beliefs or test our interpretations of them. The, you might say that the disquieting thing about the book of Job is that the friends do pull a lot of their wisdom out of the Bible, out of Scripture. It's true that we see, as you pointed out earlier, Sodom got destroyed. Some of the Psalms ask God, why, why are the, why are the evil flourishing? But in plenty of in in plenty of situations, it it says, Oh God, you will rule. Everything will come your way. Yet, yet our real world experience tells us otherwise. The friends, the friends are definitely afraid to push that, you know, go where Job is trying to take them. And I think the lesson for, for I think, some Christians is to know the difference between be, the Bible having inerrancy, an inerrant truth of the Bible, is different from literal uh, writings in the Bible. <laughs> and uh, what our friends are doing in many ways are relying very much on literal interpretations. The, the, the tents will be blown away. The fire will come down. They're, 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 they're will not be, their, their names will be forgotten to history. Maybe that's true. Maybe this is all something that's allegorical on a cosmic scale. We believe the good will be rewarded, that, that if, we, if we confess our sins, actually, if we confess our sins and make Jesus our Redeemer, we will get to heaven uh, despite our sin, <laughs> not 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 because we're good, but despite our sin. Um, so again, there's there's uh, our friends here are very much wedded, I think, to to literal readings and relying heavily on on traditional readings. When Job is pointing out, and this again is very modern. Every every dorm rooms had the discussion. Okay, if God is so good, you know why why is Dallas flooded out right now? <laughs> Uh, and and, and, and and yes, it's Dallas. Now you can have a Dallas and Well, it's Dallas. They're more wicked than it used to be. Uh, so, so really, so we're, we're based so in Houston, always, FYI, to our fans. Um, always be be open to uh, to new readings. And again, um, 
inerrancy is not necessarily mean the literal literal things out of context. Excellent. And with that, uh, I just want to add one thing. So you're going through a rough patch in your life, and you think it really kind of blows. Break open the Bible and read Job. It's worse for him. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> we're thank you so much for tuning in to No Church Answers. And once again, thanks so much for our sponsors and supporters. On behalf of our show producer, Mr. Steve Titch, Yay. Michael Cropper, Robert Koshu. My name is Yay. Bill Cox. Our podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate it, leave a review, and if you have a question or comment, you can go to, we have a Facebook page and also a website, which is at man-upspiritualoasis.com. And if you are a, unable to attend a church, check out Sugarland Baptist Church a streaming service. It's on Facebook, YouTube, sugarlandbaptist.org. starts Sundays at 9.45 a.m. And when you're ready, we encourage each and every one of you to join a local Bible-based church. Why local? So you'll go and participate on a regular basis. And find a small group, ABF, Adult Bible Fellowship, or Sunday School class, that you can join for discussions like this. And find one that is men only. And if there is one, start one. This is No Church Answers with the Man Up group. Thanks so much. Robert Koshu. My name is Bill Cox. Our podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate it, leave a review, and if you have a question or comment, you can go to we have a Facebook page and also a website, which is at man-upspiritualoasis.com. And if you are a, unable to attend a church, check out Sugarland Baptist Church a streaming service. It's on Facebook, YouTube, sugarlandbaptist.org. starts Sundays at 9.45 a.m. And when you're ready, we encourage each and every one of you to join a local Bible-based church. Why local? So you'll go and participate on a regular basis. And find a small group, ABF, Adult Bible Fellowship, or Sunday School class, that you can join for discussions like this. And find one that is men only. And if there is one, start one. This is No Church Answers with the man up group. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Man Up. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Dedicated to the uncommon man, created by equally uncommon men. If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flame through into this place. You can contact us on Facebook under Man-Up. Post questions and we'll answer them right here on the Man Up Podcast.